You may have noticed that um, <clears throat> we've had some slight alterations to our PA system, and we now have a high priest on your right and your left who are watching you. Don't believe <clears throat> that they're loudspeakers. They've got cameras in the top, and they're filming every one of you, and um, Paul will... Um, give me the pictures afterwards so that I can pick out those who have been asleep. <laughs> Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father God in heaven, we thank you for that little child who prayed for us who are staying in church. May those children richly receive from you through their teachers this morning. And Father, will you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, be our teacher here? For Jesus Christ's namesake. Amen. The Christ-centered life. And I've uh, subtitled this, Ambition for God. What's your main aim in life? None of you have got, obviously, any aim at all. It doesn't, don't worry about that too much. But all of us, regardless of our age or position in life, have things that we're either longing for or are that a real cringing ambition for us. I conducted many, many funerals during my time as a full-time Anglican minister. I've conducted funerals of little tiny babies still in nappies. I've conducted funeral of one lady who was 103. And every single age between those two has been represented in my little experience. By far the most difficult funerals to conduct were those of whom either or both spouse was just about to retire or had just retired. Many times I came across people and perhaps it was the widow and she said, we've been waiting and planning for years for his retirement so that we could go on this cruise or that holiday or to go visit that bunch of family somewhere else in the world and now I can't go and if I did I would hate it without him or vice versa. All of us have hopes and ambitions at every different stage in life they grow up with us. Ambition of itself is neither good nor evil. The direction of that ambition is absolutely vital. There was a chap called Adolf Hitler. He was one of the most enthusiastic men with an ambition that's ever walked the face of this earth. He wanted to restore Germany as a powerhouse. He hated the weakness of debate and democracy. He felt a strong nation needed total loyalty to one leader, the Führer. 
He wanted to abolish the Treaty of Versailles. He wanted Lebensraum, a quest for more living space for Germans at the expense of the much-hated Poles and Russians. He believed in social Darwinism, a hierarchy of classes. He put the master Aryan race at the top, Germans, tall, blonde, blue-eyed. And the Slavs, Jews, Gypsies, blacks, and homosexuals at the bottom. Here's what the internet tells us of another man of ambition. I work harder than anyone who has ever lived. I'm so pressed, I don't have time to eat. Like all supremely gifted individuals, Michelangelo was driven to create. His aspirations were huge. He wanted to rival artists and architects past and present, to work for the most powerful rulers of his day, and to make works of unprecedented scale and originality. Alexander the Great, he was a man of ambition. He went on and on and on and on. And when he got to India, he wept because there were no more lands to conquer. So he thought. Apostle Paul was a scholastic and religious genius, as we heard two Sundays ago from the earlier part of this third chapter of Philippians. But all that changed in a split second on the road to Damascus recorded for us in Acts chapter 9. In God's hands, we read, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my message and my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, and I must show him how much he must suffer for me. Now, God was the aiming point of Paul's life not his own personal ambitions. All the priorities we heard about two weeks ago had evaporated. And verse 13 of today's reading in Philippians 3 says this, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And now, this is where you and I are drawn in today. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And the cameras will point out those who were um, feeling mature. All of Paul's previous and fantastic qualifications, he now considered loss as he wrote, One thing I do. straining towards this new goal. Three little points about this goal, ambition. Firstly, the starting point. Paul declared to be nominated and chosen by Jesus Christ. Verse 12, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
For Paul now, his ambition was tied up in his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 6, we read of his advice to the Philippian Christians. Being confident of this, that who began he that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Happens to be a verse that became very, very, very personal to me when an evangelist called Billy Graham wrote it into my Bible on a street in Cambridge. I said to Michael Duff about four years ago, I think it's time I stop preaching and leading worship. And he said, well, that's up to you, John. Let me know when that date should be. <laughs> and then I came back to this verse that Billy had written in my Bible. Three things. He began it. God. Not you. Don't think you have chosen Jesus Christ. He, in his love and mercy and grace, has chosen you. Secondly, he will perform it. And if the Holy Spirit isn't in my life, guiding what I do and say and the way I do and say it, I am a denial of the faith of Jesus Christ. And then he said he will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. I was sitting next to a very senior Church of England minister in a church in Sheffield about nine or ten months ago. And I, I, I know this man quite well, and I said to him, Philip, please, can you tell me, in, in the terms of Philippians 1 verse 6, when is the day of Jesus Christ? He said, you tell me and I'll be knowing myself, which is not the answer I wanted. The day of Jesus Christ is either the day he takes me to be with him or the day he comes back to collect us all. Or alternatively, a date that the Lord Jesus Christ, not John Gray, will choose when it's time to stop. So that's the starting point, nominated and chosen by Jesus, I press on for which that for which he has called me, has took hold of me. There are some of us here who have been Christians, members of God's family, for many, many years, perhaps many dozen years, and I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I know of at least one person who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ only in the last three or four weeks through the ministry of Alpha. So we're all in widely different ages. But you see, God would say to you what he said in that first reading. Did you get it, the gospel? There's a man who finds a pearl in a field. What he was doing in that field, I'm not quite sure. We're not told that. But that pearl was so precious that he went and sold everything that he had to buy that field. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ thinks that of you? 
not the person next to you, not someone else in church. You. You are his treasured possession. He loves you passionately. You know the proof of that? Because he came at his father's bidding and died that you might be brought into his family with his father in heaven. As Paul, writing to the uh, Corinthian church, says, God, who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's the starting point. God chose you. And when you turned in faith to him, you were drawn into his family. So it's nothing clever you've done or I have done to become a Christian. It's all of his grace. What about the root? Well, remember what we, we, we heard? He began it. He will carry it on. All the way through the Christian life, we struggle. We stupidly look at other Christians and think, they're better than me. Why can't I be like them? It's terrible when a church begins to divide because they're not doing something that some other church is doing. This pressing on can be the very hardest part of what it means to be a Christian. The same Billy Graham said it's 5% of the Christian life is at conversion. When we accept the call God has given us, but 95% is living it out for the rest of our lives until we see him face to face. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Joshua 13, verse 1. Moses is, uh, sorry, Joshua, Moses died. Joshua is halfway through his conquest of the promised land. And God sort of meets with him one day, Joshua 13, verse 1, and we read that Joshua was old and well stricken in years. And God said to him, I love this, you're old and well stricken in years. There remaineth much land to be possessed. I won't ask you to put your hands up. I'll see it in the, in the pictures that come back. Don't, don't worry. You know, how many of you are over 85? A few, perhaps. I don't know. I'm not looking at anyone special. But if you're 85, there remaineth much land to be possessed. For God. Albert Braithwaite, most of you knew him. I remember seeing him day after day after day after day lying in a cot in his sitting room, totally unable to do anything for himself. He had to be washed and cleaned and bathed and bathed and dressed and so on and so forth. But never till the end days did he lose that longing to talk to people about Jesus. 
I remember once taking George Carey, a previous um, archbishop, to visit him. He, he found out that we lived in the same block of flats, and George Carey said, oh, good, sir, can you take me to, to visit him? So I did, and I let him in, and I let him and his wife in to be with Albert, and then I came out, shut the door, so that they could have an hour together. And Archbishop Carey had said, whatever you do, one hour later, we must be on our way back to so-and-so. So, 59 minutes later, I went in and I heard this from Albert. Well, I've been telling you what I've been doing. Now, George, it's your turn to tell me what you've been doing. <laughs> Albert was so full of what he wanted to do for God. Are you going to be like that? Very old, and there's still a very large area to be taken over. God began it. God will keep it going. Paul says, I have not yet obtained, and he was an old man, but I press on. And remember, as Paul's writing this, he's got a Roman soldier on each hand. He's a prisoner. He can't go anywhere of his own accord without taking these two Roman soldiers with him. And do you know what he has the temerity to say? Our citizenship in heaven. Can you imagine what those Roman soldiers will... Hey, mate, you're chained up to me here. Your citizenship is in heaven. Ah, oh, yes, said Paul, because I don't know where you're going, but my destination is with Jesus. The starting point in Jesus, the route to the goal. With the Holy Spirit within us and the end in sight. This is what Paul kept on and on and on. His vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in prison. He has that temerity to talk about his life being actually controlled from heaven. And he said, we eagerly await a Savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we're in a fight. Are you struggling in the faith at the moment? Are you finding it difficult to really latch onto and believe what you've heard? Other people seem to be so much better Christians than you. Well, you're in good company because all of us think other people are better than ourselves unless we've got a bloated opinion. Paul's so much in a fight. At the end of Romans chapter 7, and I'm reading from a version which Joss McCabe is so fond of and familiar with, called The Message, a modern paraphrase. Paul says this, it happens so regularly in that, that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but... It's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, 
sin takes over and takes charge. I've tried everything. I'm at the end of my tether. Is there no one to help me? And then he comes up with the answer. Thank God Jesus Christ can and does. Over the last few weeks, we've seen in this epistle to the Philippians that it's absolutely filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I will never ever leave the learners group. Have you got that? And Paul ends this particular reading given to us this morning. Therefore, my brothers, and I guess we could include sisters, could we? Uh, yes, I think so. You whom I love, Paul says, and long for my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. My old dad was a great man of prayer, a lovely, lovely man. He died, oh, I don't know, 70 years, 80 years ago. But he used to have one of these expressions, especially for me. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. At which stage, after the, about the 4,000th time, I would say, go on, go on, go on. He knew I was a giver up. He knew I was the sort of brat that would so easily give up. And my dear friends, I say to you this morning in Jesus' name, go on.